Hey. All right, yeah, it's working. Okay. Good evening, everybody. Welcome. It is Just Human number 165, and I have way too much stuff to cover tonight. This stack is way too big, and we're going to have to get right to it. A lot of news happened today. There was already a lot of news that I wanted to cover. And then we had the Cary Lake lawsuit starting today in Maricopa. And um, I made sure to listen to it as much of it as I could. I caught most of it while I was doing babysitting and grocery shopping and all sorts of other stuff. And uh, I took it in and I really enjoyed it. Cary Lake had a fantastic day in court and Katie Hobbs had a horrible day. It was I mean, it was, it was yikes. It was really, really bad. In fact, it was, there were several own goals by the defense and they served up. And I was telling, I was telling somebody in my telegram chat uh, before the show that, you know, if I was Carrie Lake, I, Carrie Lake's team, I would maybe be thinking about resting after today. It was so good. You ended on such a high note that you might as well just, Unless you got unless you got some really heavy, high quality witnesses coming up tomorrow, I think I would rest and save the time. Um we'll get we'll get into it, but man, it was a great day for Carrie Lake, a great day for election security. And um yeah, if you missed it, I really enjoyed it. I'm um there's going to be another hearing tomorrow. I'm going to try and take in as much of it as I can. And on that note, I need to do some housekeeping real quick. I have been informed by the powers that be that I need to take some more time off. <laughs> and uh, actually what happened was my wife, my wife came home from shopping after I made dinner. She, while I was making dinner, she went out and did some shopping and she came back and she brought me a bottle of whiskey, um, Jefferson's reserve, which I've never had. I have no idea if it's great or if it's, if it's not great, but she brought it to me and she, I'm not kidding guys. I was at the dinner table and she brought it to me and was like, here you go. I got you this while I was out and I'm like, Oh, thank you. And then she's like, listen, you need to not work so much because the kids are home and da, 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 da. And I was like, well, you see, dear, there's this election case that's going on in Maricopa County right now. And she just gave me that look that was like, I, I don't care what case is going on. So, um, I think my plan is this evening, I'm going to cover as much stuff as I can. Might, might even be an extra long show like Monday's show was. And then I'm not going to do a show on Thursday or Friday. Um, the only thing that might change that is if, um, if something happens with this Carrie Lake lawsuit, I might go live or I might make a video like record, like a recorded video and put it out, something like that. Um, but I got it. I got to keep, keep the white half wife happy. And the other thing is that, um, well, I have been available to my kids and I'm, I mean, I'm with my kids all the time. I'm also pretty often distracted by news 
and I'm always reading something on my phone or on my on my computer. And our three year old has been acting out quite a bit. There's definitely been an uptick in the past like two months, but especially the past month of our our three year old really acting out. And it's um it's a little bit more than the terrible threes. So I think or she thinks, and I have to agree. Um, I think he's acting out because he wants more attention. He wants more direct attention from us. So he's doing things like just immediately disobeying us drive. Like this evening he was driving his three wheeler into his brother over and over again, even though we told him not to. And I think that it, in, at least at that example, it was very much, he was trying to get our attention while we were talking about something else and he wanted our undivided attention. So um, I need to take advantage of this Christmas break and give him that attention. So tonight got a big show. And if something happens with the Cary Lake lawsuit tomorrow, there's going to be a hearing defense is the, the um, plaintiff Cary Lake side is supposed to present the rest of their case and then rest. And then defense is supposed to present theirs. And I think the idea is that the judge is going to render a decision on Friday, if not very early next week. So, um, yeah, this is going to be my, unless something really big happens, this is going to be my final show before Christmas and then I'll be back next week. So with all of that said, let's get to the big news today. And y'all, y'all are right in chat. Happy wife happy life. That is absolutely true. And she's not unhappy with me. And I want to keep it that way. (laughs) She's not, I don't want to get to the point where she's unhappy. I want to, I want to, I'm right up against the line where she's still happy, but she's letting me know I'm up against the line. And so that's the point at which I'm going to change course. (laughs) So, um, Debuela, I see you. Okay, Debuela in uh, Rumble Chat says the judge said he's going to need five days to render a decision. So, yeah, he'll have a decision next week then is what the what the thinking is. Um, we'll see if we'll see if everything wraps up tomorrow. All right, so I don't have – well, I don't have personally any clips. What I do is I'm going to rely on Carrie Lake's True Social, Pepe Lives Matter, and Patriots Are in Control's. They're truth socials because they were putting out some uh, clips from the trial today. And let's just go through some of these highlights from today, and I'll give some commentary on what I thought about these witnesses and and how things went. So Carrie Lake started off, and she posted in a few places, we have a country to save. And she feels good about this election case. I feel good about it. I can tell you who doesn't feel good about it, who's actually been a little bit iffy about it um, or is trying to do some narrative shielding in his own way. And that is Mark Elias, who his firm, one of the attorneys representing Hobbs uh, is a Mark Elias firm attorney. And before this trial started on December 18th, Mark Elias put this tweet out stating the RNC and PNJ Abon is Harmeet Dillon right here. So the RNC and Harmeet Dillon are helping the AG candidate, 
That would be Abe Hamaday, whose case is also going forward. And they're leaving Carrie Lake without GOP and represented by cyber ninja lawyers in court. So, of course, to people on the left, that is hilarious that cyber ninjas lawyers are going to be helping Carrie Lake. And to them, that discredits Carrie Lake and her chances. This is obviously a stupid stunt because nothing associated with cyber ninjas or the MyPillow guy um, or the Arizona audit or any of that. All of that stuff is obviously bunk. It's all fooey. So that's Mark Elias's point here. When I saw this tweet from Mark Elias, I thought, oh, that sounds good. I like the idea of lawyers who are involved with cyber ninjas and the Maricopa audit um, being involved in the Carrie Lake case. They're going to be very informed lawyers, very informed. And they're going to have an idea of exactly how the fraud is happening in Maricopa. And they're going to have an idea of how to go about this case and how to present their information. And they're going to, they're not going to be, this isn't going to be brand new to them. They're going to be very familiar. I think this is ex, this is excellent. So I saw that and I was like, yes, that is good news. And indeed it was. The lawyers start off and there was, um, let me see, this happened before. Let me grab a clip that came before that guy. So one of the big things that happened early on today is um, Maricopa admitted that they don't count the ballots at the vote centers, which is required by state law. Huge win. Huge. And this was one of the very first things that happened thanks to Maricopa County recorder Stephen Richer, who did not take this hearing seriously. Richer um, appeared. Let me see. Here we go. Richer appeared virtually. And from a hotel room, apparently, in Panama City, where he's on vacation, and he put on a he wore a t-shirt. He didn't even bother to go to Target and get a button-up shirt. Um, I know that I would have. You know, I, I don't wear suits, and I don't like dressing up. I actually hate dressing up most of the time. Um, I'm just, I'm, I, I'm usually wearing metal band shirts or just really plain shirts. I like to look nice, but button-up shirts and other things, I... I don't like wearing them. Um, I like I like being casual. But if I was going to be appearing in court, even if it was virtually, I would have at least gone to Target and bought a button-up shirt. At least, you know, like at least a $30 shirt. Um, but nope, he thought it was okay to appear this way. And I think that goes to um, the way he doesn't respect this case. And he doesn't... He feels untouchable. And I commented on Patriots and Control screenshot here that Richard is being quite insolent during this hearing. And I think that's good. It's going to work against him and it's going to work to the advantage of Lake. And it did. I made this comment before 
he ended up admitting to breaking the law. Maricopa County recorder Stephen Richard confirms chain of custody was broken. All ballots that are delegated to a third party or location are in defiance of Arizona election law. And I think a lot of that, I think that he made those types of errors because his attitude was, this is a waste of my time. I'm on vacation. I can't believe I'm having to bother with this. And so I'm just going to just put on a T-shirt and I'm not going to take this seriously because nothing's going to happen. Let's um, let's listen to this clip right here so you can get a taste of how Stephen Richer was coming across during this hearing. I'm not asking you to be a legal expert. I'm asking. Oh, if it'll play, you know, or do you have an understanding? Do you you have an understanding of whether the law requires that early ballots be counted at the vote center? Early ballots actually cannot be counted at the vote center because they are governed still by early voting law, which is my domain, if you will. And we have to do a whole bunch of things before we can properly tabulate the ballot that is inside that early ballot ballot envelope. And that includes scanning it in. That includes imaging it. That includes signature verifying it. That includes sending it to a signature verification audit queue. That includes sending it to a bipartisan ballot processing team. We keep all tabs all through this process such that if somebody, for instance, puts two ballots in one envelope or if a ballot is damaged inside of an envelope, that will be marked by the bipartisan team. And that's actually what I spend a lot of my time on Thursday, Friday and Saturday in that big room doing that's just a taste of it. And you can hear it a little bit in his voice there. That's about as good as he was. That's about as respectful and tolerable, tolerable as he was. Um, he was, man, the guy was so cringe and so arrogant and it really came through It it was not a good look for him. And I'm glad about that. I'm glad he made those errors because it led to this admission. It's uh, Keschel here. Captain Keschel commented, if only there were a way to avoid all of these hurdles, such as expecting citizens who care about the vote actually showing up to vote in person on a paper ballot counted at the precinct. This thing is broken by design. Amen. It was very clear that it's very clear to all of us, and it should be clear to everybody who has paid any attention, that these things are broke. This this system in in Maricopa County is purposefully convoluted and broken, and it's not unique to Maricopa County. It's just that Maricopa County has so many people there that um, it's it's extra egregious there and extra obvious. And we're choosing the everything. Everybody's getting focused on Maricopa County because of all the circumstances and the candidates and whatnot. There's reasons we're focused there, but it's, this is not unique. This is across the country. There are many counties and precincts and cities that are broken on purpose. This is just one of them. Um, Kana Kana, thank you very much for the uh, for the Rumble rant. You hate dressing up too. T-shirt and jeans, bro. Yep, that's me. That's me. T-shirt and jeans. Um, I saw a couple comments on Foxhole and on Rumble. Thank you all for wherever you're watching. D Live, Telegram, Foxhole, Rumble. Thank you for watching this evening. I saw a few comments about how 
Richard kind of looked like Zelensky wearing that olive drab shirt, or at least it appears to be olive drab green shirt. And I was just mentioning on my socials tonight that Zelensky is, hey, he's ruining green shirts and green sweaters for everybody. Like I have, I was, I was thinking about wearing a green sweater tonight. I have a green sweater over there. I ended up putting on a green shirt. Um, but I, at first I actually put this on about 10 minutes before the show started because I was mad seeing Zelensky testify in Congress. And I was like, man, I don't even want to wear green anymore. This guy is ruining green clothes because he's always where he's been. It's becoming a symbol and I don't even want to wear it. And that that's evidenced by the fact that y'all saw y'all saw Stephen Richer wearing a green shirt and other people saw Elon wearing a green shirt the other day. And everybody thinks it's a hat tip to Zelensky, which it may, it may very well be, but just the fact that that has gotten into our psyche to where we see a green shirt and think Zelensky, I hate it. And I commented on it on my socials this evening. And then right before the show started, about 10 minutes before the show started, I was like, you know what? Screw that. I'm putting on a green shirt. I'm not going to let Zelensky ruin the color green for me, or at least ruin green shirts for me. I'm still going to wear green. Um, Just mine aren't going to have Azov Battalion Nazi symbols on them. Anyway, that's a little bit of a rabbit trail. Um, So Richard here, here's another clip of Richard being a jerk. Okay, so the statute, are you familiar with the statute, first of all, that governs chain of custody of ballots? I am generally familiar with Title 16 and Title 19. Does the statute draw a distinction between Election Day drop-box ballots and uh, early ballots that take place before Election Day? It does. Okay. Does it draw a distinction with respect to your responsibility to provide chain of custody for all drop-box ballots? I don't follow the line of questioning. All right. Does the statute requiring you to maintain chain of custody for all Dropbox related ballots say shall or may? We must maintain chain of custody for all early ballots. Okay. So now, again, you're parsing with early versus uh, those dropped at a polling center in a Dropbox, correct? I'm not attempting to. I'm just distinguishing those from ballots that are cast in person on Election Day. There are early ballots that are dropped off on Election Day. We maintain chain of custody for those ballots. Right. Well, let me ask you this. Do you know if any chain of custody exists for the transport of ballots from drop boxes at vote centers to MCTEC on Election Day? It does. Okay. So you can tell me exactly how many ballots left each vote center on election day that came from a drop box. I can tell you how many early ballots we received on election day. Okay. Can you tell me, based on chain of custody documents, how many ballots left the drop boxes from the vote centers and were transported to MC Tech. Yes. Based on documents that you have in your possession. Yes. 
that the way he's coming across is so toxic that it doesn't even really matter what he's saying. I mean, it matters. Of course, the judge is going to go is taking note of what the guy's actually his answers are, but his answers are that much worse because of the way he's presenting himself. He's so irritated. And when I was listening to this, as I was going about stuff around the house and um, whatnot, I, I was just smiling. Like I, I know everybody, I see people saying, making comments like, Oh, I can't stand that guy. He needs to be slapped, whatever. Like I, I get you, but I'm listening to him and I'm like, good, stay irritated, stay irritated. This isn't going to work well. The judge isn't going to like you being this way. The judge isn't going to like it that you're disrespecting his courtroom by not even being dressed up. Um, the judge isn't going to care for the attitude and your answers. The ju- The judge is going to, he's going to remember this. He, this is, this is a trial in front of a judge only. It's a bench trial. There's no jury here. And so you're, you're insulting the judge by acting this way. Um, and the judge didn't make a comment on it, but I know you get the, I get the impression from the judge that he, he's the kind of judge that's going to take note of that and be like, okay, I'm going to remember that you disrespected my courtroom. All right. Now the next one, next clip is this, uh, the election director was there talking about the machines going down and, uh, yeah. So you, you don't believe that what happened on November 8th was not a disruption in the election process? I do not couch it as that. Are, are you aware that... Uh, super- now, this is after talking about all the problems that they had on election day. And this guy has the nerve to stand there or sit there and say, no, nah, this wasn't a disruption of the election. Supervisor Gates uh, came out on election day and said 20% of all vote centers were affected by uh, these issues with ballots being rejected by the tabulators. Again, we didn't have ballots rejected by tabulators. They were not being read in by tabulators. But that's not a disruption when voters still had ballot options to participate in dropping in those ballots in our secure door number three, which is a similar process that eight other counties use as their only option for voters to be able to return their ballots. Yeah, Mr. Jerry, you're not answering my question. My question isn't what other options existed for voters. My question is, would you agree that there was a disruption of at least 20% of the vote centers in Maricopa that caused delays in the voting process? Objection, Your Honor. The witness has already answered this question as to whether he characterizes it as a disruption. Yeah. I'll overrule. If you can answer it, you may, sir. Okay. I'm not changing my response. Okay. This guy refused, refused. And I saw Scott Jarrett. Thank you. Scott Jarrett's his name. And he refused to admit that these they, they won't acknowledge. Maricopa won't acknowledge the problems. They, they they can't and it's it's to the point where it's absurd um and I, I think they come across as absurd whether whether or not you agree the problems were egregious um one out of five tabulating centers which it's actually much worse than that but I mean if one out of five it's it's unacceptable 
Um, and the fact that he won't admit to something just a little bit, just a little bit, um, makes it seem like he has something to hide, which of course we believe he does have a lot to hide. And, uh, I, I think it was Ideastesia pointed out to me in the chat or Randy, one of you guys I saw scroll by in the chat, um, said that defense tried to rehab Stephen Richer and they did. I forgot to mention that. Thank you. When defense got up to cross Stephen Richer, they tried to rehabilitate him in front of the judge by saying, Oh, you're on vacation. And you know, you didn't have a, a suit with you because you weren't planning on this trial and whatnot. And Richard did not, <laughs> he did not understand that they were trying to do that. And instead he made it worse. I'm so glad you mentioned this. The defense were like, so you're appearing here virtually because you're um, on vacation, right? And he said, yeah, I'm in Panama City. And, oh, so you're on vacation. And he's like, yeah, it's my first vacation in four years. And you could tell he was, like, really miffed about it. And the defense was like, so you, I just want to make it clear, you, you know, you would have dressed up if you had a suit available, right? You would have – this isn't normally how you would appear in court. And – it just fell flat because the guy or worse because Richard didn't either. He didn't care that the fence was trying to rehab him in front of the judge, or he was so high on his own farts and arrogance that he couldn't understand that he needed to go along with the defense's line of questioning and try and appear like he could have seized on that moment and really said, yes, I wasn't, I wasn't planning on appearing in court during this uh, during this vacation, and so I made arrangements to be able to appear today, but I wasn't able to acquire a suit before it was time for me to take the stand. I'm very sorry that I'm I'm not dressed appropriately for court. Like he really he all that that's all it would have taken. That's all it would have taken, and he didn't. He didn't have the time for it. He didn't have the damn to give. So bad. So bad. Now, there was arguments about 19-inch ballots and 20-inch paper and 20-inch ballots and 19-inch paper. And there was all this discussion about shrink to fit. And it got a little bit confusing. But this is a very, very serious problem that Maricopa had, that ballots that were sized for 19 inches were printed on 20 inch paper, which means the whole thing doesn't line up, which means the tabulators reject them. And this is a feature, not a bug. This is a feature. Sir, I want to uh, go back to the earlier question about the 19 inch ballot image being, placed on a 20-inch paper. Did you hear of any reports of that occurring in the 2022 general election? I did not. If that occurred, would that be a failure of Maricopa County's election process? I'm not aware of it occurring, and I'd be surprised if there was a a ballot on demand printer that had a 19 inch ballot on it. Okay. Uh, I understand that, sir. But, and the reason why is 
we did not design a 2022 general election on a 19-inch ballot. That ballot does not exist. The only ballot that exists is a 20-inch ballot. And when you say we designed, who designed the ballot? Is that outsourced to another company or is that done uh, in-house by Maricopa? In-house by Maricopa County staff. Who, who, what department would that staff fall under? Is there a specific name for it? Uh, our ballot tabulation team. So reports to me. Okay. And do you maintain records as to the ballot definition that was uh, created for the 2022 general election? Yes, we have records of all the ballots that were designed. And and so I'll go back to my question again. If a 19-inch ballot image was put on a 20-inch paper in the 2022 general election, would that be a failure of your election process? It would, if something like that happened, which I don't know how it would, Yes, it would have been a mistake. Boom. That was big right there. You don't need him to know that it happened. You just need him to admit that it would be a problem if it did. And it did happen. We have the evidence of it right here from CanCon. This is the 19-inch ballot printed on 20-inch paper. And then on the right side is a 20-inch ballot printed on 20-inch paper. And you can see that things do not line up. And for it, when it gets put into the tabulator to be scanned, the tabulator is going to be like, uh, no, I'm rejecting this because it doesn't match up. All of these dots on the outside and these lines and these blocks and all of that stuff has to line up perfectly in order for the machine to read all the bubbles that are filled in. And if it's not lined up, then the tabulator is going to reject it. And that means it goes through the curing process or the, uh, um, whatchamacallit, where they make duplicates and they uh, make a new ballot that somebody has to sit down and somebody has to look at it and then transfer that person's votes onto a proper ballot so it can be refed into the tabulator. And that having to happen creates a obvious opportunity for fraud because the person that's transferring this ballot to this one over here so that it'll be read in the machine, they can alter someone's votes or they cannot do that. They can ignore this ballot or reject it. And that admission there by him that this would cause problems is huge. It doesn't matter whether or not he actually testified that this did happen. See if it'll play the rest of this clip. Um, Could that have also been a deliberate act? Again, you're asking me to speculate about things that I have no knowledge of occurring. So... I don't know if it could have been a deliberate act or not. I don't believe that that occurred. How much, how involved in you are you in creating the ballot definition? So my team does, and then I overview it and I'll review examples of those. Yes. Thank you, Mr. Jarrett. Don't have any further questions at this time. Adjudication, that's the word for it. Thank you very much. And this guy did not have a good time on the stand. He did not have a good time. Let me see if Patriots had any more clips of him that I would want. 
I don't think so. I don't think he did. Okay. Let's see, did Carrie Lake grab any more? This, this is the best guy right here, the cybersecurity expert. So after the director, then we got the cybersecurity expert who went pretty long because he was excellent. He was excellent on um, with the with the plaintiff and then on defense when uh, the defense got out to cross him. He was he was excellent there, too. Does the your finding of a 19 inch image ballot image placed on 20 inch paper? Does that implicate violations of criminal law? Wait, hold on before you answer that. Objection, Your Honor. Calls for speculation, lack of foundation, and and calls for a legal conclusion. That's the Mark Elias law firm attorney, by the way, that lady right there that just objected. And this guy on the stand, I mean, this this guy has decades of experience doing cybersecurity, working for um, U.S. government and law enforcement. The guy is very, very, very well credentialed. And he testified as an expert and he did a, well, the judge said that in this courtroom, they don't actually do experts. Um, you don't have to qualify someone as an expert, but the guy's an expert. Um, the judge even actually referred to him as the expert. Um, he was so good. Does call for a legal conclusion. Uh, your honor, the witness has testified. That- I heard. Yes, your honor. I'll, I'll sit down. <laughs> Based on what you have determined on your physical examination of these ballots, your experience both in the, uh, the industry as a uh, certified forensic hacking investigator, your uh, CISSP, your skills with, I believe you, you called it uh, IRAP. Is that it's 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 Ira? That's the acronym that does it. There are different, and this is specifically for for um, technical risk and assessment. This is one of the issues when I work for the voting system test labs to get all the all the vendors. I've dealt with over seven of them to to my memory. Right, they none none of them performed it. The labs didn't perform it. I eventually convinced one lab to do this because this is vital. To when you're doing system testing, let alone security system testing. And this applies not just to electronic voting systems. This is to all information systems, all technology. These are standard engineering principles. Is there any way you could be wrong about a 19-inch image being placed on 20-inch paper? No, sir. I give the technical options that are there there are two ways that this can happen and based on this system and the controls in place this could not have been an accident and there are only two options it would take further investigation further forensic examination for me to determine exactly which one it was they were trying to get him the defense was trying and for a while there they were tr- the when they cross him, they're trying to get him. They tried to get him to uh, 
admit that it could have been an accident. The guy was adamant that this had to be an intentional change from not just, it couldn't just be at the printer. It had to be at the EMS at the election management system level, which means, means it has to be somebody who has access to the EMS who could then make these changes. But if that had happened, then it would have been changed for all the ballots. Why is it just in some places that there was this error of 19 inch ballots on 20 inch paper? And they tried to bring up, well, what if there was shrink to fit or whatever, which it wouldn't be shrink to fit. It would be fit to size because you would need it to expand. But they were saying, well, what if, what if someone had just kept a, they left a shrink to fit box checked and the guy, the, the, the expert was an expert in navigating the cross-examining because he wouldn't give them the answer they wanted. He would say, look, there's only two options here and both of them have intentionality. And there's somebody at the access level who was able to make these changes to how these documents were printed. And later on, you got an expert or not an expert. You got a worker who came in a tech who came in and said, look, we set everything up and everything was working just fine before election day. All through the run up to election day, all these machines were printing ballots just fine. Everything was working and scanning and everything was fine except for on election day in certain areas, everything went to shit. Yeah. And that's right. JS Souther fit to size would not keep the ballot centered. That's right. It, you can't just fit to size it and say, Oh, there we go. We got it. It's fixed now. Um, no, it would, it wouldn't work. All right. What's the next one? day filled out a ballot maybe had an, a shrink to fit setting on it there it so is it would, wouldn't be counted on the tabletop we go into door number three goes on down the mctech they put it into the to tower tower tabulator and it doesn't get counted and then it gets duplicated and then it gets counted so that voters ballot was voted and tabulated is that your understanding you started, you started. Is that your understanding? Your Honor, I can't answer that question the way he asked the question because it's inaccurate. <laughs> so that's not your, I'm sorry. You don't understand. You can say I don't understand and he can rephrase it so you can understand. But if you don't like the way it's phrased, that's something that your counsel will have to clear up. Yes, sir. Your Honor, if, if I may address the court. I'm, oh, you, that I'm, I'm, I'm provided for technical expertise and give those options. And if the technical scenario, you see that lawyer just turned around like that. Did you catch that? Yeah. Right there. He's looking back behind him at the, whoever is behind him in the audience. He's looking back at them like, well, I can't get him on this. He's too smart. The court. I'm, oh, you, that I'm, I'm, watch the, watch the lawyer for technical expertise and give those options. And if the technical <laughs> scenario is inaccurate, I, I cannot answer the question. Can't, let me try again. Ms. Lake, right here in this room, bona fide candidate for governor of the Grand Canyon State. Hundreds of thousands of voters would love to have had her as the next governor. One of them 
chooses not to vote in the 26 days of early voting or mail-in voting or emergency vote center voting, but chooses to show up on election day, gets a ballot from a ballot-on-demand printer, and somebody either intentionally or inadvertently has hit the shrink-to-fit setting, and this 20-inch ballot paper comes out 19 inches. This voter fills it out. Carrie Lake, want her to be the next governor, throws it into the precinct tabulator. It comes out, goes into door number three, goes down to McTech, the much more sensitive tabulators, according to you, it would not count it. It would then go to duplication. It would be duplicated. Then it would be tabulated. Is that your understanding of the elections in Maricopa County? Your technical description is not possible. A lesser witness would have fallen for that, guys. A lesser witness would have gone along with what that attorney just spelled out and would have given it at least given an answer that came his direction a bit. But this guy is too smart for that. He's far too smart for that, and he doesn't give him an inch. I apologize. I wasn't attempting to give a technical description. I was just saying what happens based on your testimony. <laughs> so you're saying in that scenario, that voter who wanted to vote for Carrie Lake would never have that vote tabulated. Is that your testimony? My testimony is that a shrink to fit setting would rely at the application level, which would reside on the EMS, which Mr. Garrett just testified since the print job to the printer. Therefore, it can't be accidental as all the employees that man the EMS are trained. Whether it's accident. Boom. Boom. This lawyer, he screwed up because he said, is that your testimony? And that gave the witness the opportunity to say, my testimony is this. Boom, 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 boom. It had to be intentional. And you're, and Jarrett, the director, was just just on this stand. He already testified to this fact that the printer controls, the, the printer programming comes from the EMS, which means it has to be somebody who has access to the EMS, which means it's somebody who was trained on the EMS, which means it's somebody who knows what the printer setting should be. Intentional all day long. Settle. Or inadvertent. Would I gave the two please, options, sir. Ask, please allow me to answer the, ask the question. I'll allow you to answer. Whether it's accidental or inadvertent, if the shrink-to-fit 19-inch ballot has to be duplicated, once it's duplicated, would it be tabulated? To your understanding. There are two technical ways that that image would be there. None of the ways you exist, it's not even possible. That's not not possible, Your Honor. I understand what you're saying, Mr. Parikh. That's not responsive to his question. If you are able to answer his question, you can do that. Sir, are you able to answer the question? I'm unable to answer your question. Okay. (laughs) 
Oh, it was great. It was great. Uh, since we're already on this right here, let's check on. I have I have SBF. I've been tracking the plane. I believe to be SBF, and he has just landed in New York City. This is a DOJ bird, a Gulf Five. Um, we know that this is a a DOJ bird, um, and I've been tracking it, and it looks like he's just landed right here at Westchester County. And uh, SBF is on his way to, I guess it would be the MCC is where I've heard he's going. That's where the reporting is going. He's going to go to the MCC and uh, going to be in New York City to face charges. Heck yeah. Heck yeah. That makes me happy. We'll get to that topic here shortly. So, again, this is what the ballots look like. We already covered that. Let me see if there's any other clips I wanted to play. We got that. These text messages came up during the trial because when they had the tech get up there um, and testify about all the problems he experienced firsthand. And then we had this expert who um, she came off so well. Let me switch over to Carrie Lake's uh, page and see which ones she picked out. Yeah, let's, this lady, um, so this lady is an investigator who does open source intelligence and, uh, she's not law enforcement and she's not an election expert, but she is an investigator who has been working with, uh, Carrie Lake's team and has been making FOIA requests of Maricopa County and they've been very evasive. Um, there was a discussion here. They kept saying FOIA when in Mar- in Arizona it's called like public records request or open public records request or something, but it's all the same thing. Um, she's the one that Maricopa County has been running from. And that's right, Chad. Her name is Miss Honey. And she came off so genuine and earnest and... um knowledgeable um she she was very good she was very very good and i think it was to her advantage that you know when she first introduced herself they didn't really introduce her like like she was this expert she was a member of their team who did part of the investigation and she said she got interested in election security issues like two years ago so around 2020 and um Yeah, she and I, I think I think part of her her demeanor, the way she came across, worked to Carrie Lake's advantage because the defense thought they could they thought they could get one in on her and they absolutely failed. It was it was worse than with the cyber expert. When the defense came and crossed her, they scored at least one own goal, if not two. Do you have all of Maricopa County delivery documents? We do not have any. We requested them, but they said they had misplaced them. And those are the ones that were uh, for election day, correct? Well, actually, we didn't get a single one of those for the entire election. It it is uh, the testimony of uh, the in the declaration of Runbeck. Uh, employees that no such documents existed for 
Election Day. So check that out. Maricopa County could shut down so much of Carrie Lake's lawsuit by simply providing the chain of custody records. They could, they could, they were asked for them. This is the lady who tried to get them and made the request several times and made an effort to get them from Maricopa County. And they could just totally wipe out part of Carrie Lake's lawsuit by simply providing the chain of custody records. And they refuse. They refuse. They won't give her these records. In fact, they're ghosting her. Right. What about prior to the election? Yeah, so this was this form was actually created for all of the, the days prior to Election Day. I'm sorry, but my question was specifically related to Election Day. Okay. There, there were none. Well, we did not receive any. They said they misplaced them, and the Runbeck employees said none existed. Okay. Do you have... Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Um... Uh, ballots were received back from the drop boxes. And um, her concern was that uh, specifically the um, the seals were being removed when the um, uh, ballots were received back from the drop boxes. And um, her concern was that uh, specifically the um, the seals were being removed from the transport containers. Um, and the ballots inside were not counted. Uh, she, you know, that was a requirement as she understood it. And the fact that they were just taking those ballots out of the transport containers without counting them um, was was her primary concern. And then, okay, so we have two different people you have spoken to working in two different places, correct? Correct. Once here at Runbeck, the third-party vendor. And one's here at McTech, right? MC Tech? Mm-hmm. All right. And both of them are both telling you that there is no chain of custody on election day for ballots being transported from MC Tech to Runback. Is that correct? Correct. They weren't following the, the legal requirements for chain of custody. So there were seals on the containers um, when they transported them, but the, the specific issues were that they were just cutting them open, taking the ballots out, putting them in trays without regard to how many, or, and there was no documentation. Um, there were handbags and purses um, where they were processing the, um, the, the ballots. That was a... There, there was no chain of custody here. They didn't have any regard for maintaining chain of custody. They tried to, I forgot about this, with the cyber expert, they tried to gig him. The defense did. Um, whoa, what's playing here? I'm not, one of these started auto-playing, sorry. Um, they tried to gig him on, when you got this, wasn't it sealed? You got these records, these these ballots, they were sealed, right? And he was like, No. I'm like, well, didn't you say there was tape on them? And he's like, well, yeah, there was a piece of tape on them, but I wouldn't call a piece of scotch tape sealed. <laughs> there wasn't any number on it. There wasn't a serial number on the tape. There wasn't anything close to a seal that when broken, you know it's been broken. And he gives evidence to somebody having gotten into those ballots before you got them. So that was one of the own goals they scored on them. And then with her, they did something similar. Uh, Just an amazing day for Carrie Lake. 
Um, thank you guys for the uh, for the gold pills over on Foxhole. Happy Strummer says changing the default printer setting is not a glitch; it is intentional. Absolutely. And Filter Dog wishes me a Merry Christmas. Thank you very much. Merry Christmas to you too. I saw a Rumble rant and I that was earlier. Where'd it go? Where'd it go? One flew by. Razor Sharp. Yes. Uh SBF is headed to Epstein's jail. Um that's the, that's our next topic we're gonna get to. Team Smooth, thank you very much for the Rumble rant. And Sammy the Squirrel, good evening, sir. He says, So I missed Almost the entire show, then. Here's some cigar money for you. Thank you very much. I will spend that money on cigars. You haven't missed the whole show. I started I started about an hour ago, and I think there was a tiger loose in the chat. He's trying to uh, steal y'all away to some other show with this guy named John. Um, yeah, I, uh, I don't know why you'd want to go watch that show. I mean... Aren't you more interested in S let's see, let me tell you before you, before you guys, any of you run off with the tiger over to John's show. Next, we're talking about SBF and JFK and a Trump announcement, Trump tax returns, the ECA, Devin Nunes and uh, the plant Cassidy Hutchinson. So, Oh yeah. And I got Twitter files part eight. So, I'd stay here if I were y'all. John's John. John doesn't really know how to do a show. So yeah, that's why he always has guests on. He doesn't really know what he's doing. He hasn't been streaming that long and he's still trying to figure it out. Let me get this back over here. He's not super pro like me. Not at all. As I scroll through here, trying to figure out how I just messed up on my windows. Karen Karen over on Foxhole thank you very much for the gold pills Say I'm becoming one of their favorites as it should be as it should be um, thank you guys and Merry Christmas to the Tiger uh, me and Burning Bright won't be doing a show this Sunday we won't be doing a defected we're taking Christmas off this Sunday but we will be doing a show on New Year's Day um, it kind of, it kind of sucks. We're going to take off this weekend cause there's so many narrative things that we could be discussing that there's a lot of stuff going on. That's perfect for our show right this week, but, but that's all right. We'll say, we'll save it up. Okay. So wrapping up the, uh, the coverage on this trial, um, this attorney got up. And this was one of the roving attorneys for the Republicans. And I've talked about these guys on my show before, how the, how the, the, the GOP went on offense this election and they hired attorneys and put them in key counties and precincts and had them be available to argue the cause, to argue for election security. And they were, they were available. And this was one of them who was a roving attorney who went around to different polling places and made sure there were observers, made sure things were doing being done legally and whatnot. And he talked about what he experienced. And I was watching during his testimony, I was listening to Viva and Barnes, their coverage. And I absolutely agree with them that this guy was so perfect for the judge in this case. This guy comes off like a classic country club Republican attorney. He was dressed 
like he should be. His demeanor was as it should be. He was, he didn't sensationalize anything. He was very specific in his testimony. And I think that this guy probably made a big impact on the judge. Um, and the, the defense couldn't, couldn't ding him up at all. And it, it, this was, this guy, this is the last witness of the day, if I recall correctly. And he, you could have wrapped up on him. Uh, the, the plaintiffs could have just rested on him and they scored own goals on him. Man, it was so good. He was so good. And uh, they reported to me and I created a report based on my own personal experience at 10 vote centers uh, uh, during the general election and um, 105 other vote centers that the uh, roving attorneys who responded to me, which I believe were uh, 10 I believe responded to me and were willing to, you know, tell me what, what had, what had occurred, what they had seen. Um, so the 11 of us put together, uh, observed at 115 vote centers. Um, how many vote centers did you personally, uh, visit? 10. 10. And what, and this is during the general election, correct? Yes. And what was your experience at, at what you personally saw at those 10, 10 vote centers? Well, it was really pandemonium out there, um, everywhere. I, I, I was within, uh, from Fountain Hills to North Scottsdale were where my vote centers were. I started out in Fountain Hills and immediately, I mean, there was a line, there was a line of 150 people at Fountain Hills. Um, the tabulators were not working. And, um, that was what I saw at, you know, I saw the same thing happening at uh, six of my ten vote centers. Um, there were different things happening at some of the other ones too, but six of them in particular were really bad. Um, yeah. And and so you you've been voting for a number of years, correct? Yeah. Uh, how would you characterize the events of the 2022 general election compared to? other elections that you witnessed? Oh, this was uh, a completely different animal here. Um, so I was a roving attorney at, uh, during the primary and there were, you know, some minimal problems there too, but the general election was a complete, completely different situation. Um, there were lines out the door, which did not, you did not see during the primary uh, at many of the vote centers there were angry um, and frustrated voters who did not want to put their ballots into box three. Um, and um, there, you know, it, it was just, and, and, and then there were the poll workers who were extremely frustrated and really didn't know what to do. Most of them, I would say, were doing their best, you know, to, to figure out a solution to the fact that the tabulators were down. Uh, we're not reading the ballots. Um, everyone was just freaked out. A question for you. There's been some testimony earlier about wait times. Uh, do you have an understanding of how the county measures wait times? Yes, I understand that um, one of the poll workers is supposed to check the line every 15 minutes and report back to uh, MCTEC is my understanding. 
it would have been difficult. I, I don't know where you're going with the question, but it would have been very difficult for the poll workers who were crazed trying to figure out just how to get the, the tabulators to read the ballots. Um, I can't imagine that, it, that, that there was time for any poll workers at the, at the worst vote centers anyway to, to actually go out and check the line. I think I believe you mentioned that you visited personally about ten vote centers. Yes, and that the other roving attorneys that that you were working with, uh, it was a total of about 115 vote centers in total. Yes, and that's 115 out of about I think 223 vote centers. Correct. That's correct. So that's a little over half of the vote centers. I believe it was 52 percent. How are you able to characterize? Uh, what your other, uh, the other roving attorneys uh, were experiencing, whether it was similar to what you were experiencing or worse or, 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 or maybe not as bad, how, how would you characterize? Well, I would say that most of the roving attorneys had a similar experience to mine. I, I, I can't think of, I can't think of one that had a different experience. There, there may be, but, um, but for the most part, you know, aggregated together, pretty much everyone had the same experience. And if, if uh, somebody were to characterize the events of that day uh, as minor technical difficulties that should be expected in any, any election, uh, what would you say to that? I would say that's nonsense. Um, when you have 132, uh, we've been able to document that there were a, at least 132 vote centers um, with tabulator problems out of 227, which uh, comes out to about 59%. Um, I, I don't see how that could be characterized as a small matter. I think that guy's testimony, what we just saw there and everything else he tes- testified to had a massive impact on the judge. Um, and this judge was good just to wrap up, um, what we saw today, the, the judge in this case, I thought was really good. I thought that he was, was fair um, he did a good job guiding witnesses and guiding the attorneys to their questions. He um, he was really soft-spoken, which at times he was hard to hear, but there were audio issues throughout the, the trial today. I, I was – myself, I was uh, going through different feeds of it, trying to get a decent feed, and everybody had a problem. At the very beginning of it, I was trying to listen to Maricopa's own site, and that went down probably because so many people were hitting it. Uh, which is a good sign. Um, But the way this trial is working is that each side only has so many hours. It's timed. They only have so many hours and minutes that they can use to make their case and also to cross-examine. And the plaintiff, Carrie Lakeside, they used up a big chunk of their time today. And they need to keep, they, they need to be careful of not using up so much of their time presenting their case that they don't have enough time left to cross-examine whatever witnesses the defense brings. So another reason why I would say that they really need to consider, and I'm not a lawyer, of course, I'm not an expert here, but it just seems to me like unless they got, they had such a good day today, such a good day, unless they have some really heavy, high-quality hitters coming tomorrow morning that are really important, 
and they think it's worth risking losing ground, then I think they should rest their case as quickly as possible tomorrow. And then they have all that time left to be able to use on a cross-examination of the defense's witnesses. So it's, um, it's interesting that it's being it, the, 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 this trial is, it's a bench trial and it's interesting that it's happening this way. Um, but yeah, great day. I'm really, really happy with it. I, I was really enjoying it. There's, there's probably many more clips of this that I should play for y'all, but we have more topics to cover. The main thing is to know that it was a great day. Also, I want to point something out. Um, if you go to clerkofcourt.maricopa.gov, I was here looking for the case and to read the case. And I found where the case is. It's this one, by the way, Lake V. Hobbs et al., and you can recognize the number by, if you just look for 095, it starts with 095. Um, here's the filings. I absolutely, well, I don't hate. I very much dislike the way they have cases on this website because it's just like this. There's no date next to them or anything or preview of what's in them. It's just the title and the number and it's a PDF. And it is in chronological order from most recent to oldest, but, um, you can't see the date that it was filed and everything. I, I, I really wish this was laid out as a spreadsheet, but I thought this was great at the very top up here, which this may be zoom in for y'all to see, check out what they did. Election case files are accessible on our 2022 general election webpage right here. So they've had so much interest in Carrie Lake's cases and Abe Hamaday and Fincham that they've added this hyperlink and this yellow banner up here so that people aren't going all over their website losing, you know, losing themselves trying to find the cases. You can just go right here and click this and it takes you to this general election 2022 page, which lists all of these cases that you might be interested in. Um, and it's just something I noticed. I thought that was pretty cool that they did this. And so even though I don't like the way they lay out the cases on their website, I do appreciate that they, they did that. I think that's, that's pretty cool. Making it easier for everybody to follow along with the cases. All right. Next, we're going to go to the next topic. Uh, well, I'll, I'll, I'll wrap up and say this about Lake's case. I think Lake's case is the best election case I have read. I think that she has the best chance of any case that we have seen come out. Um, she's obvious, obviously she's gotten farther than anybody else. Anyone else has in the past two years because she's actually getting a bench trial with a judge. Um, even though he didn't accept all of her points, he didn't accept all of her complaints. He accepted two of them. I'm not getting my hopes super high up that the judge is going to give the remedy that we all want, which is Maricopa has to do their election again. The remedy we all want and the remedy that Carrie Lake wants is that Maricopa has to do their election all over again and they have to do it lawfully, which means that Carrie Lake would win. 
I don't know if this judge I'm not I'm not getting my hopes up that the judge is going to go that far in his relief. But from what we've seen to this point, I think she, I think they've done a, 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 a as good a job as they could have done. Um, I think the judge, m- maybe the judge is willing to really put the hammer down on Maricopa County. Stephen Richer may have messed up so bad that he's going to be in criminal trouble. Um, there was another part where he. He said that he was asked about a PAC that he's part of. Uh, Richard, um, he started a PAC which was against Carrie Lake and against MAGA candidates, even though he is working for Maricopa County as the recorder. So there's obviously a conflict of interest there. And he was asked about that PAC today in court, and he said that he didn't run it or he didn't own it or something like that. So he could be in big trouble um, with that. He may have perjured himself there. And then also the chain of custody thing. Um, I'm not, I'm not sure what, I I don't know how far this judge is willing to go, but the thing is, and I see people mentioning SCOTUS, that's, I really wouldn't be surprised guys. Um, I'm not getting my hopes up that, that this judge is going to rule that Maricopa has to be done again. But my hopes are lifting that whatever the remedy is that this judge gives, Carrie Lake is going to appeal to SCOTUS for more relief. Like, I'm not sure this actually ends with this judge. And then, um, you have Abe Hamaday's lawsuit that is also going on. So there's two different cases here that are that are that are they're going for this relief. I'm I'm optimistic, guys. Don't get me wrong. I'm not I'm not dooming here. Um I'm optimistic. I feel I feel good about it. I'm just not I'm not gonna sit here and say, this is the one, this is gonna, you know, I'm not I'm not gonna do that. So Yeah, R.L. Skeeter, I would really love the judge to order that, too. I would. I just don't know that the judge will. You got these judges. Yeah, I don't I don't I don't really want to get into that. Um, I think the judge, the judges have a lot on their mind and. um. It's going to take a very brave judge. It's going to take a very brave judge. I hope, hopefully this guy is that brave. All right, so SBF. SBF has made it to New York. And heck yeah, I'm glad he's there. Now, I know a lot of people are like, well, SBF is um, headed to MCC. And he's going to be where Jeffrey Epstein was. And everybody's making jokes about SBF didn't kill himself. Hillary's going to be his guard. um, All that kind of stuff. But the thing is, um, 
I'm over here laughing because I can't believe y'all still think that Jeffrey Epstein killed himself or is even dead. Because I don't. I don't think that Jeffrey Epstein's dead at all. So I'm not worried about SBF going to the MCC. Um, I've seen a lot of comments when I've shared anything having to do with SBF that this is a big cover up. It's going to, it's out of the SDNY. They're the worst district. They're the worst prosecutors and they're just going to cover this up. Nobody's going to be held accountable, blah, blah, blah. I totally disagree. I absolutely disagree. Um, I think that SBF is going to be held to account. I think that he's going to spill the beans on so much stuff. I don't think this guy has the metal to be able to with, withstand being in the MCC, being um, prosecuted by the SDNY. Um, I think that I think SBF is going to say he's going to spill everything. He's going to tell them everything they want to know that he's facing 115 years in prison. His parents are, are under investigation as well. His friends are, this guy is going to tell the DOJ everything they want to know in the hopes of getting some sort of plea deal that'll get him. I don't know, like 50 years in prison. Like this, he he's not going to be able to withstand prosecution here. Um, so I'm, I'm excited. There's a lot of people blackpilling over it, but I'm not blackpilling at all. I'm super happy. You know, a lot of, I, I still get comments from people that are like, why did they, why did they arrest him the day before the congressional hearing? They're trying to cut the DOJ is trying to prevent him from talking. And it's like, no, the, Congress wanted SBF to come appear in front of Congress so that they could get sound bites and clips. And so they could make commercials and they could make the news that night. They wanted to try and score Kabuki theater points off of SBF and DOJ stepping in, robbed them of that opportunity. I'm glad DOJ came in and arrested this guy when they did. It prevented Congress from scoring the political points they wanted to score. It also prevented Congress from having attorney-client privilege conversations with him and trying to convince him not to talk to DOJ. The re- the reason Congress didn't want to interview SBF because they care about the crimes he committed. They wanted to interview SBF in a congressional hearing because they wanted the opportunity to talk to him through their lawyers and try and find out how much how how much danger they were in. I want I want SBF to be in a courtroom. I want him to be in jail. I don't want him to be in a hearing in Congress. So I'm happy about it. And this story came out several days ago, prosecutors are targeting the Democrats who SBF donated money to prosecutors investigating accused crypto grifter SBF have demanded information from high level Democrats, including the Democrat national committee, the Democrat congressional campaign committee, New York rep, Hakeem Jeffries, the incoming house minority leader, in order to help prove their sprawling case. 
top Dem lawyer Mark Elias, who represents a long list of political campaigns and super PACs, received an email from the U.S. Attorney's Office for the SDNY. Okay, let me um, let me let me rephrase that for you guys in case you didn't hear it. DOJ is sending letters to Mark Elias and to the DNC and the DCCC and other Democrat lawmakers about the monies they received from SBF and FTX. When this story first broke over a month ago, people who were in the reactionary mode were saying that nothing will happen to this guy. It's all going to be covered up. They're all going to get away with it. And here we are a month later, and the SDNY is sending messages or sending emails and letters to Mark Elias and the DCC and the DCCC and other Democrats saying, yo, how about you tell us about that money you got from SBF and FTX? Republicans and Democrat campaigns have also received similar messages. I, th- I think this is going to be good. The reason Congress wanted this guy in front is because they were scared of this. They needed they needed time to speak to SBF to try and convince him not to talk to DOJ. This guy's in big, big trouble. And he's gonna and more so the swamp is in big trouble. So now he's in the SDNY, and I'm pretty uh I'm pretty stoked about it. Um I want to hit on, I'm not going to dig into the, uh, the Trump announcement. Someone asked me, what is this on Foxhole? Are you asking me how, why haven't I turned on stickers? How do I turn on the stickers? I know how to release the scratch offs. All right, hold up, guys. I'm going to try and figure out how to turn on stickers on Foxhole because I don't know. Um, All stickers. How do I turn them on? Settings. Sticker settings changed to open. Okay. I changed my sticker settings to open. Does that, does that fix it? Oh crap. I left my show. Where'd my show go? This is a very professional show guys. This is very professional. Yeah. Don't ever think anything different. I am totally not stumbling around. All right. Do the stickers work now in Foxhole? I switched them to open. I haven't uploaded any of my own, so 
but I saw there were like global ones, I guess, and some others. So yeah, it's set to open. Okay. How do I get out of this? If I think I got it. I don't know. Cat girl says it didn't work. Maybe I have to, maybe it, it, I have to do like, it'll work on the next stream or something. If it's not open, then the options it gives me are open, closed or approved. But I haven't approved any. So here, I'll switch it to approved. Now see. Oh, did approve worked? Oh, maybe I need to go back to open. Because now I see you posted one. Yeah, refresh your browser. Maybe it'll work. Okay, I think I got stickers turned on. We'll see. Okay, cool. All right. Thank you very much, Foxhole. There we go. There we go. I saw some uh, Rumble rants. I totally missed them. BRBL, thank you very much for the Rumble rant. Thank you. Thank you. Peppy, thank you very much. Much appreciated. Von Hitch says, stay positive no matter the outcome, folks. Merry Christmas. Amen. Razor Sharp says she's staying here, hoping that I'll put her to sleep. <laughs> I'll take it. Thank you very much. All right. So I just real, real quick. I know that, uh, I know BB and I talked about this on defected, but I just want to hit on the Trump NFT thing real quick because I don't, I, we already talked about on defected, how this wasn't actually Trump's major announcement. Um, it, he, he teased it as his major announcement, uh, but it actually wasn't. Um, but what I wanted to bring up in relation to it is that Melania already got into NFTs a year ago, you may remember. And actually, it was a year to the day, or just about a year to the day, that Melania launched her own NFT. And I remember a lot of us thinking, what was that? And there was a discussion at that time about whether Trump approved of crypto or not, Um but remember, Melania launched her own NFT, and she sold it for charity. And uh, it was like that that image of her eyes. If this will come up, I'll I'll show it to you. And then after she released this one, she released several others. Yeah, there's her announcement from December 16th, announcing that she was going to start her own NFT or releasing her first NFT. And here's Trump on December 15th. Major announcement. Here's my NFT. So it was a year to the day or just about. I mean, I think Melania actually announced it the day before. You saw an image, like a teaser image of it. So it would be out. That'd be on the 15th. And she did a few more. Besides, this is it. This was that that first NFT. And she's done more since then. There's our third one that she announced in February. So I think 
And my thought was at the time later on, not at the time, I can't say at the time that it happened. It was later on that the idea was uh, presented to me. I saw uh, Dawson and Mean Gene and UK Neil and a few others talking about it that uh, Google Athu, they were talking about how is Trump, is Trump going to get into the crypto NFT world? And is this going to be another trap? Is this another sand trap that Donald Trump is setting up? And I do think it is, but, and and here's the reason I'm bringing this up. The news report that went around from this one Twitter account that Donald Trump was already under investigation for his NFT was false. There's no, there's nothing there. And I just want to, I wanted to alert people that this account, Erica Marsh, who put out that tweet that Trump was already under investigation and everybody shared it around. He got tons of interaction and shares. I saw it all over true social and telegram. This account from her started in September, 2022, and she's already got almost 80,000 followers. She's a lefty, a proud Democrat, she says, but none of her tweets have, they, they don't have receipts. And so, like, I'm not saying this account is, I think I said in my chat that it's a fake account um, or this account is a disinfo account or something. I may have said something like that. I, I shouldn't have gone that far with it, but I don't trust this account. Um, like, look, I just scrolled that much and here you go. Here's actually a receipt. So... You got to be careful with this on Twitter. There are all sorts of disinfo accounts and other accounts that will make tons of claims without any receipts. And that's what, that's what you have to look for. You have to look for accounts that have receipts and that share links to what it is that they're claiming. Um, so this rumor went around that Trump was already under investigation for his NFT. I haven't found evidence that that's true, but if he does come under investigation, which I expect he will in some way, I think it's part of bait. Like I, I think, I think that Trump is purposefully getting into the NFT world. And there's a few things about his cards that are a little iffy. Um, and I think that's cause Trump is yet again, the bait in the trap that is going to, that's going to attract the criminals just like he's done his whole life. So I fully expect Trump to become, to come under investigation at some point for those, those NFTs. And I think it's part of a sting. I think that's another reason he did it. More on Trump. We got Trump's tax returns. Now, I haven't read them, but the House Ways and Means Committee put this out. It's a report on the IRS's mandatory audit program, and the IRS has this mandatory audit program which wasn't being run the way it should have during Trump's presidency. And I believe that's on purpose because Trump wanted to bait the house. He wanted to bait the uniparty to come after his taxes. He has always, he's been doing this and I've caught some flack for saying this a few times, but I, I stand by it, man. Trump is purposefully like he's done so all his whole life, but especially since he became involved in politics, he's, 
forcing his enemies and forcing these criminals and these politicians to go do the work to get at his tax returns or to get towards whatever it is. And in this case, it's his tax returns. And by him, he's doing the briar briar patch thing. He wants them to come after his tax returns because he knows there's nothing in them that they're going to be able to gig him for. If anything, he's going to come out looking better, right? They're going to get to them and they're going to see, oh, I see. Like they're going to, they're going to get to his tax returns and they're going to look and see that he actually paid taxes and that he didn't do anything nefarious or wrong. And they're going to drop it. And Trump's going to see, look, I told you there was nothing in my tax returns. Just like it's, it's the perfect phone call with Zelensky. It's the exact same scenario only with his taxes. But more importantly, the, the reason for this is so that it sets the precedent that you can come after a president and the president has to disclose his tax returns for years, not just the one or two years before he was sworn in as president, but years and years before that. Um, Joe Biden released, I think, his one or two years of his tax returns before 2020. I can't remember exactly. Uh, but this sets the precedent there needs to be more. And in this report, the line that stands out to me is this one right here in the third paragraph that it is recommended by the House Ways and Means Committee, that there should be statutory requirement for the mandatory examination of the president with disclosure of certain audit information and related returns in a timely manner. In other words, the president should be, by law, his tax returns should be audited every year. By law. That's what they're saying. They the See, another way to say this, Trump made them so mad and they hate Trump so much that now the Uniparty, especially Democrats, want to pass a law that mandates the audit of the president's tax returns. And that sounds good to me. That that sounds good to me. Audit. Audit every president. Kyle Cheney here said, notable that ways and means committee that did this found that Trump's tax returns and audit records were far less voluminous than they expected given public reporting and commentary, which is another way of saying that Trump and his team, his, his, uh, his people that seed news stories, the anonymous sources, the ghost in the machine, they were able to trick the Ways and Means Committee into thinking that Trump's tax returns would be far bigger than they were. A lot more for them to look at. And then when they got it, they were surprised. That was another part of the bait, is they thought that his tax returns would have so many documents for them to go through. There's going to be so much hidden in there. All of his private flights and dinners and his vacations, they're going to... We're going to find what this guy's been doing. We're going to find Russians all up in his tax returns. Nope. Nope, nope, nope. Big disappointment for them. And that leads me to the next Briar Patch story. And uh, let me grab Reha. Oh, man. Thank you so much for that Rumble rant. That is huge. Oh, Rhea, that is that is amazing. Thank you very much for that generosity. Um, I don't I don't know what to say. That is 
That is amazing. You just paid for all the groceries that I bought today. <laughs> thank you so thank thank you so much. Um God God bless you. Merry Christmas to you. Um Man, this is man, that is that is amazing. Thank you. Oh, one last comment on the tax returns. I haven't gone through them and read them line by line, and I probably won't. Uh, but I'm just wondering if we're gonna if there's something in those tax returns where it's gonna show that he is an asset of DOJ or that his organization is. Um, I'm not quite sure how that would work. But I'm just wondering if there's evidence. I would think there would be in there that he's getting that that Trump org is getting paid to be an asset of DOJ to do all these sting operations. So I would think that that's somewhere in his tax return. Not that he needs the money, but just as a matter of course, as a matter of that service, that there would be. Um that there would be evidence of him working as an informant within his tax returns, but it might be termed something else. Like, I don't think it's going to say line by line for services rendered to the FBI as a confidential human source, (laughs) $3,500. Like, I don't think it's going to be like that, but I'm, I'm just thinking that there's, there's probably something in there where I would imagine there would be that gives evidence to him having served as an asset. Um, I don't know that there is, I don't know that, um, and this, I'm just genuinely, I don't know if you could do, if he could do that work for the DOJ for free and there'd be no, no line in his returns at all, or his org could do that work for free. And I don't know. Um, but I, I was wondering if, I'm wondering now that his tax returns are going to be public and if if that's going to come out. I don't I don't know that it will, but I do believe that one day it's going to come out. And uh I don't think that I don't think MAGA's ready for it right now. I don't think that right now is the time for it to come out. Even though I'm talking about it and I do talk about it on this show and I I tweet and truth about it uh because i feel like i'm not i'm not such a big account that i'm going to make this huge impact on his work but i do sometimes think about how much should i actually get into that stuff because i don't want to blow his cover i guess but i even feel kind of silly saying that um but it is evidence i mean like anybody could look it up it's open source anybody could find out that he's done that work and his org has and his brother and his dad and his grandfather um anybody can find it and i don't know why more people don't anyway here's another instance of some trump news where they got baited and this is one where i am very happy uh i have to admit um there's a few things that i have planted my uh my flag on yeah razor sharp yeah dawson fields on twitter talked about it um about when the public finds out yeah me and dawson talked some and um just a little bit and 
he's been commenting on more of the stuff I share and I really appreciate it. I, I really have a lot of respect for Dawson. I like Dawson a lot. And, um, I think Dawson and I, I think have a disagreement on what the narrative is supposed to be right now in regards to the FBI, because I'm very much of the opinion that Trump and team want MAGA to have a negative view of the FBI for now and a negative view of DOJ for now. Um, They want to build that up and they're building it up more and more and more. And it's going to be this massive narrative whiplash. And it's, and it's for the purposes of narrative shielding to all the work that they're doing. And I said in a tweet last week, I think that Trump wants Trump wants the FBI bad narrative to be pervasive right now in order to give a shield to everything that DOJ has done, is doing, and will do in the future. So, like, I'm not... I want to talk about it more because I see it so much in things that are that are happening with him. But I also have this hesitancy at times because I I don't feel like that's they want that out as much as I want it to be out right now. Um anyway. Election reforms in the omnibus. This is something I've planted my flag on. Um I've I've said the whole time since January 6th, uh, since, well, since shortly after that Trump and Pence were having a fake feud. It's always been a fake feud. And this right here is the number one reason. I think there's more than one reason for it, but this is number one, which is reform of the electoral count act. I've covered this on my show a number of times. Um, this summer I went into the study that was done by a bunch of, uh, people in Congress on what they needed to change about the electoral count act. They came up with a bill that was in the house. That bill has been moved into this omnibus spending bill. And now I'm not going to tell you that this omnibus spending bill is great. I'm not trying to tell you guys that and that you should be happy about the omnibus spending bill, but I am happy about this section of it because this section of it is the election reforms, which Trump and Pence successfully baited them into making. It limits the VP's role to counting of electors. Nothing more. The objection threshold, so if people want to object to slates of electors, it has to be one-fifth of the House and one-fifth of the Senate. It's not just one person from the House and one person from the Senate. It has to be one-fifth from each. So a much higher threshold to object. Restricts grounds for objections. Prevents competing slates of electors. Remember, that is what Special Counsel Smith has been investigating. I've been talking about how DOJ is very much interested in the in the uh, fake electors, the competing, the alternate slate of electors. They've been investigating that since J6 or since they launched their investigation into J6. Uh, that's what the uh, the subpoenas and the search warrants of Mike Lindell's phone, Scott Perry and a no- John Eastman. Um, a bunch of other people that seems to be what those were in relation to is this scheme 
to have alternate slates of electors and it tasks defaults to the government, which I'm not exactly clear what that means. Okay. I'm not exactly clear what that means. Modifies the presidential transition rules and contested races. Um, aside from this right here, not, fully understanding what this means because I haven't read the language of the bill, the rest, this stuff right here, I'm really happy with because as my friend Google Athu Malungu says, this is a bill to prevent Trump from stealing the next election. That's what they think. That's what the Democrats think. That's what the rhinos think that they are reforming ECA, the electoral count act because they need to prevent Trump from stealing an election. But in reality, what they've just done is they've made it almost impossible for themselves to stop Trump from being sworn in in 2024. What What has happened here, because Trump... As I, as I was talking about the other day, because Trump is now an idea that has gotten into the voting populace, and because Trump is not going away, even when he, the person, goes away, something needed to be done to where there could be a way to stop the Democrats and the rhinos from preventing another America first candidate from being sworn in as president. I'm talking about whoever comes after Trump, whoever, whoever it is that carries on, like, so let's say Carrie Lake, let's say Carrie Lake or Richard Gunnell, um, or someone else who, who is runs for president and wins after Trump talking about 20, whatever, 2032 in 2032. I think that'd be the next. Yeah. Let's say in 2032, we have a new America first candidate for president and we vote them in, they win. What do you think is going to happen? What do you think the swamp's going to do? They're going to do everything they can to try and prevent that president from being sworn in. They never, ever, ever want another Trump. So it was crucial for Trump and Pence to find a way to get them to reform the ECA so that it would be near impossible to stop that candidate from being sworn in. And that's what they did. That's why there's been this fake feud. That's why there's been this argument of, no, Pence really had the power to reject those slates of electors. Like, imagine if in 2032 this reform hadn't happened. And in 2032, let's say Carrie Lake wins, but there's a Democrat vice president at the time. What are they going to do? They're going to reject slates of electors for Carrie Lake. They're going to have the rhinos and the Democrats are going to get together and they're going to object to slates of electors for Carrie Lake. They're going to do everything they can to try and prevent another America first president. So that's why it was crucial for this to happen. But the only way it was going to happen is if you could get them to realize you could trick them into doing this, to making it harder for themselves 
So y'all are saying 2028. I'm, I don't think Carrie Lake is going to be. I'm projecting Carrie, Carrie Lake in like 2032 because I'm thinking about her being governor for a few terms, but a couple terms. But whatever, 2028, 2032, whatever. Just a future presidential election. Um, I don't think it'll be Carrie Lake in 2028. That's why I chose 2032. But um, yeah, I'm re- I'm really happy to see this. And I've seen some people, um, a couple people in chat, and then also on Twitter when I shared this, say that they think this is unconstitutional. Well, that's an issue with the ECA itself, right? The ECA isn't the ECA was added to the Constitution. There's been arguments forever about whether or not the ECA itself was constitutional. So, like, I think it's an argument worth having, but if we're going to have the ECA, which dictates the VP's role and lays out how objections work and all that other stuff, then we need to make sure it's not so weak that Democrats and rhinos are going to be able to get together and stop President Trump from being sworn in again or some other America first candidate. So I'm sticking with, I'm sticking with my opinion that Trump and Pence feud is kayfabe. I'm going to stay there right with it. And my friend, Adam Kelm, Again, with a brilliant point, most people don't realize what Trump set in motion. So it looks like a failure, but context matters. Something good, something unexpected is on its way that turns what seems like a negative into a positive. And that is exactly what is going on with this right here. It seems like, oh, this is a negative. They're reforming. They're trying, they're going to, they're, they're characterizing it to their own, own audience that this is going to stop Trump from being able to steal an election like he tried to do in 2020. That's all that's in their minds. That January 6th has gotten into their heads so much. The idea that Pence might have rejected slates of electors and the idea that Trump may have remained in office thanks to some scheme got into their heads so much that two years later they're making this change because they're so afraid of what Trump and Pence almost did. What Trump and Pence almost did. And it seems like a negative, but with Trump, he always turns it into a positive. And this is another example, guys, where the whole J6 thing If Pence was, I'm not going to go down this road too far, but if Pence was actually the dastardly person that so many people have convinced themselves he is, then why didn't he send an affidavit to the J6 committee? The criminal referrals that the J6 committee just just made. Pence could have made those criminal referrals 10 times more powerful. 10 times. And all he would have had to do is write out an affidavit saying that Trump tried to get him, tried, wanted the riot. He could have said anything negative to back up the J6 committee. He didn't do it, did he? You think back, if you think back, 
you need to pay attention to all the opportunities that Pence had to throw Trump under the bus, and he didn't do it. Okay. Let's see. ECA, Trump tax returns, this. All right, next thing, Nunez. This is another... Another interesting story here. So, after the uh, Twitter drops earlier this week, and so this is from yesterday. Is this the first one? No, this is the ne- this is the next story I want to do. I don't want to do this story first. I want to do this one. Okay. There's no, there's no, guys, there's no sense at all talking about the Bush funeral letters because nobody has any idea what's in them. So, like, there's no, there's no sense at all in giving any value to them because you don't, nobody knows what was in them at all. Like, like I've said before, they could have been, Pence may have gotten a coupon to Waffle House in one of those cards. Like you, you have no idea, so you can't, you can't assign any value to them. Um. Anyway, so DOJ snooped on the House Intelligence Committee investigators during the Russia probe subpoena show, and what has happened here is. Google, pursuant to policy, has notified people that hey, by the way, we gave DOJ your information in an extraordinary intrusion on congressional oversight. The justice department used grand jury subpoenas to secretly obtain the personal email and phone data of at least two top house intelligence committee investigators back in November, 2017, just as they and their boss, then chairman Devin Nunes were assembling bombshell evidence of FBI abuses in the Russia collusion probe. The subpoenas obtained by Just the News show the DOJ demanded that Google turn over personal email and phone data from two senior staffers on November 20th and 2017, and that responses for materials were returned to DOJ on December 5th, 2017. You can open this link, and you have it right here. This is a subpoena to Google telling them we need all of this stuff. For each account, the information to this of the subscriber needs to include the names, usernames, screen names, addresses, email, residential business, local and long distance telephone connection records, records of session times and durations, length of service, telephone or instrument numbers, mobile electronic numbers, et cetera, et cetera. Other subscriber numbers or identities, including temporarily assigned network addresses and registered IP addresses, means and source of payment for such services. And that is Cash Patel's. Cash, they took out and they were spying, well, not spying. They got Cash Patel's telephone records from Google. The subpoenas were delivered during a critical time frame in the committee's effort to expose the Donald Trump Russia collusion investigation as having been driven by an uncorroborated political opposition dossier funded by Hillary Clinton. Nunes committee was locked at the time in a bitter struggle to force FBI and DOJ to turn over records to the committee. 
The DOJ subpoenas came to light in the last few days when the former committee staffers were informed by Google that their records had been taken. There's the notification that Cash Patel got from Google right here, and it's displayed sideways, which is annoying. Here we go. Google user notice. Google received and responded to a legal process issued by the United States Department of Justice compelling the release of information related to your Google account. And then it references a grand jury subpoena number. The other house intelligence staffer, so one of them is Cash Patel, the other one, whose records were subpoenaed by DOJ, confirmed to Just the News he was notified last week by Google. He said he had worked extensively on investigating the FBI's Russia collusion conduct, including drafting the committee's report, criticizing the FBI, reviewing sensitive data documents, but he's not named in this story. That's interesting. Nunes said the subpoenas gave the DOJ and FBI unprecedented potential to learn in real time what his investigation was learning about misconduct in the Russia probe. But do you know what else it did? What it also did was give DOJ insight into who might be leaking information. Because during this time that this was going on, that they specifically, this time frame of November 2017, there were leaks from Congress. And DOJ was very concerned about these leaks. And one of the ways that you can catch somebody leaking is to serve these subpoenas on some people, who some staffers who you think may be involved in the leaking, or who are willing to work with you in your investigation. And they use certain terms and phrases and information, and they seed that information, and then you see who leaks it. So you describe something in a very specific way using certain words, dates, you know, tells. Something about it is a tell. And then you watch to see who repeats that, and then you know that they they are your leaker. And that's exactly what I think was going on. Is that this was part of the leak investigation. But they can't tell you that. <laughs> Nunez, Nunez and Cash Patel can't come out and say, yeah, that's right. We worked for DOJ to help them catch some leakers at that time. And they subpoenaed our records. They can't come out and say that. Because then they would alert their targets. What I think happened here is that Cash Patel was the bait. I think he was the bait. And so, yeah, they the grand jury served these search warrants and stuff on him to get his email and whatnot. And they did that in order to gather the evidence they needed. And they probably served these on some other people, too. You know, this is part of a this was part of a grand jury. Who 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 is the grand jury for? Who's the, who's the grand jury for? Was Cash Patel indicted for anything? No. Was Devin Nunes indicted for anything? No. Was this other staffer who isn't named in this story indicted for anything? 
I don't think so. They didn't say so here, but they don't name him either, which is just as interesting that they didn't name this other staffer. I wonder who got, I wonder if anybody got prosecuted thanks to evidence that was gathered from this, from these subpoenas. But the narrative that needs to, that everybody needs to go through is, oh no, they were bad. DOJ was snooping on us. This was egregious. This is a terrible intrusion of our privacy and overreach by a co-equal branch of government. Rod Rosenstein, he's so dastardly. He was so terrible. He's such a swamp creature. UK Neil, while everyone fell for the Hillary fake news of Trump, Russia, the band and the DOJ gathered evidence on Hillary and the swamp via Cash Patel and Devin Nunes. That's what I think. That's what I think was going on. Cash Patel as the bait. And what I really like about that, what I really like is that Cash Patel served in so many places in the Trump administration. Let's look it up. Let's look let's look this up. Cash Patel He was aide to Devin Nunes. Yeah, let's see. Let's, let's, let's early career of 2014. Okay. 2017, Patel became senior committee aide to the House Intelligence Committee chair, Devin Nunes. Patel was the primary author of the, of the 2018 Nunes memo. I'm, I'm only looking for other places where he served. Patel worked for about a month as a senior counsel to House Reform and Oversight Committee. Patel was hired in February as a staffer to the NSC, Trump's National Security Council. In 2019, he became senior director of the Counterterrorism Directorate, a new position that was created for him. Patel led a secret mission to Damascus in early 2020 to negotiate the release of Kamomaz and Tice both of whom were with the Syrian government. In February 2020, Patel moved to the DNI, the office of the DNI, became becoming principal deputy and acting director of acting director Richard Grinnell. Later that month, Patel was part of Trump's entourage during the state visit to the United States Republic of India. Patel is a loyalist. Yep, that's right. Trying to see if there's any other moves he made. I think he stayed. He the next move he made was he became a staffer to um, Secretary Miller. Right, I'm looking for where that made November 2020. Patel was made chief of staff to Acting Secretary of Defense Christopher Miller. That's a lot of places that Cash Patel was in. That's a lot of opportunities for him to gather legally evidence on others who may have approached him, such as, wait, it's sticking out to me about Giuliani. 
um, right here. On December 3rd, 2019, the House Intelligence Committee report included phone records acquired via subpoenas to AT&T or Verizon Wireless, including a 25-minute phone call between Patel and Giuliani on May 10th, 2019. Giuliani is a uh, is an asset. Giuliani's an asset. So two, possibly two assets talking to one another. Uh, I know the I know the clip you're talking about, R. Terrell. Um, let me find it. I know the clip you're talking about. Here, give me a minute. Let's let's find it because I saw I saw that I saw that um, that going around. Let me find it. Let me see. Yeah, here it is. Here it is. All right. This doesn't. Let's see. Does this have the whole interview? Did media reports are mistaken? Rosenstein, did you threaten staffers on the House Intelligence Committee? Media reports indicate you did. Media reports are mistaken. So the question was, did you threaten House Intelligence staffers? Right. The question wasn't, did you take out a subpoena? on House Intelligence staffers. This the the question was, did you threaten? Rosenstein, did you threaten staffers on the House Intelligence Committee? Media That's that was what the question was. Reports indicate you did. Media reports are mistaken. Sometimes. But this is what they said. Having the nation's number one law enforcement officer threatened to subpoena your calls and emails is downright chilling. Did you threaten to subpoena their calls and emails? No, sir, and there's no way to subpoena phone calls. Did you threaten to subpoena these things? No, sir, I didn't threaten to subpoena those things. Well, I mean, I'm just saying. <laughs> I'm reading what the press said. I'm reading what well, the press I would said. suggest that you not rely on what the press says, sir. Well, I didn't ask if there's no way to do it. I asked if you said it. If I said what? What I just read you. No, I did not. Well, now, who are we supposed to believe? Staff members who we've worked with, who've never misled us, or you guys, who we've caught hiding information from us, who tell a witness not to answer our questions. Who are we supposed to believe? Thank you for making clear it's not personal, Mr. Jordan. <laughs> well, I, I didn't, I'm saying the you Department of Justice. because I'm telling the truth and I'm under oath. And if you want to put somebody else under oath and they have something different. I know these them, staff members. Respond. Here, here's, 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 See? He didn't testify that he did not subpoena them. He testified that he did not threaten to do that. But there you go. I mean, that's... I don't think he lied under oath, even though the dirty truth says that he did. He didn't lie under oath. Because he didn't testify that he didn't subpoena them. He testified that he didn't threaten to.
Now, there's this news story here that Trump shared, and that's why I grabbed it. He shared it earlier today. Nunes accuses DOJ of seeking blackmail material during Russia probe after bombshell revelation. The former House Intelligence Committee chairman is suggesting the Justice Department illegally spied on him, possibly sought blackmail material after a bombshell revelation that federal prosecutors used grand jury subpoenas five years ago. This, I believe, is unprecedented. Da 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 da. da. Subpoenas were served. This is probably a repeat of the rest of it. Lo and behold, at the same time as we are investigating them, FBI, for illegal spying, they go to a grand jury to get what I would call an illegal warrant or subpoena just to target me when I was part of the legislative branch at that time. Remember, I'm chairman of the Intelligence Committee at the time. And what was going on with the Intelligence Committee at that time, guys? Leaks. There were all these leaks from the Intelligence Committee at that time. And what was DOJ investigating? The leaks. Clearly, what they are doing is targeting me to figure out what we do know and how do we know it and how do we learn it? What are we going to do with the information? And secondly, most likely, to look for anything that could potentially blackmail us on. When I saw this headline, what it made me think of is blackmail that others were gathering and trying to find such as blackmail they were trying to gather with intelligence to try and use against Trump, things like that. But I think that's what this story exposes, guys. I think that I think this exposes that Cash Patel was bait. And that's just a hypothesis of mine. I'd really like to know who the other staffer is because that would share more light on it, but if I had, you know, if I had to pick somebody in the Trump administration to be bait for me in the way that Rudy Giuliani was for Trump, I think Cash Patel is a really good pick. Um because he served so many places and there would be so many conversations he would be in and if he was being approached by people in the deep state that are like, yeah, trying to get him in on some scheme to undermine Trump or trying to get intelligence out of him, then them using those subpoenas on him, on his communications would clue them in on that. And they would be able to legally find out who it was that was propositioning him the exact same way that they did Rudy Giuliani so that they could figure out which Ukrainians were propositioning Rudy Giuliani and who were trying to buy off the Trump administration. And what did that lead to? It led to uh, three or four convictions now or no three convictions and one or one or two more indictments. I don't remember. I've lost track. I've lost track. Okay. Something else related to J6. Remember this lady, exclusive Trump's former White House ethics lawyer told Cassidy Hutchison to give misleading testimony to January 6th committee. Uh, If you guys recall, this chick was a plant. Remember her testimony was horrible. Nobody could believe it. She couldn't keep a straight face. 
it was obvious that she was telling um, a story that had been told to her that even she didn't believe. And remember, they, the the J6 committee made this big deal about it. They they had this this Trump staffer was going to come and testify, and she was going to tell about Donald Trump and his his behavior on the day of January 6th and how terrible he was and um, how he attacked the the limo driver and all of this stuff, the driver of the beast or whatever. And nobody could believe her, and she absolutely embarrassed the J6 committee. She damaged them. Well, now the January 6th committee made this their allegation on Monday against her, claiming it had evidence that a Trump-backed attorney urged a key witness, Hutchison, to mislead the committee about details that they recalled. Though the committee declined to identify the people, CNN has learned that Stefan Passantino, Stefan Passantino, the top ethics attorney in the Trump White House, is the lawyer who allegedly advised his then-client, former White House aide Cassidy Hutchison, to tell the committee that she did not recall details that she did. Trump's Save America Political Action Committee funded Passantino and his law firm Elections LLC, including paying for his representation of Hutchinson. The committee report notes the lawyer did not tell his client who was paying for the legal services. Over the summer, Hutchinson emerged as a blockbuster witness for the committee, providing key insight into Trump's state of mind and his actions leading up to January 6th. Yeah, you wish that that's what she did. She gave you guys a yarn. When asked about pressure on Hutchinson after Monday's hearing, committee member Representative Zoe Lofgren told CNN, quote, she was advised to say that she didn't recall something when she did. So that's pretty serious stuff. Two sources familiar with the situation tell CNN that Hutchinson has discussed the episode with the Justice Department. CNN has previously reported that Hutchinson was cooperating with the Justice Department's January 6th investigation after she became a crucial public witness. Passantino has not been accused of a crime. He said House investigators never reached out to him for an interview. In a statement to CNN, Passantino said he didn't advise Hutchinson to mislead the committee. Quote, I represented Ms. Hutchinson honorably, ethically, and fully consistent with her sole interest as she commuted them to me. I believed Ms. Hutchinson was being truthful and cooperative with the committee through several interview sessions in which I represented her. Passantino pointed out that it's not uncommon for people to change lawyers because their interests or strategies change. Well... I want to jump over to a thread by Dawson, a short one. It's always the swampy lawyers. That is so true. So this guy, this is what Dawson picked out from here. So this guy was a former ethics lawyer at the White House, paid by a swampy PAC to represent J6 witnesses without telling them who was paying for their lawyer and coached his client to lie to the J6 committee investigating the coup against Trump. So she fired him. And you see that? The quote from this guy is, scrolling down. Ah, where'd it go? I lost it. He says he represented her. It was great. I did a great job. 
I believe Ms. Hutchinson and, uh, because their interests or strategies change, she changed lawyers, and that's not uncommon. It's not uncommon, but it's still true. She fired him. Did she fire him because his advice was that she needed to lie to the committee? Hutchinson has been interviewed by the DOJ, likely FBI, about her attorney's efforts to get her to testify falsely to Congress. As with real investigations, DOJ hasn't told us that he is under investigation. But, and this is something I really appreciate about Dawson, that he noticed this right here. How can you tell when a lawyer is a target of a criminal investigation? This is, this is what Rush Limbaugh would call a teachable moment. His law firm takes his biography off their website and says he's not working for them at this time. Seems Passantino also shared her testimony with other lawyers and members of the fake news. So let's see that. Passantino. Stefan Passantino. I'm going to search for his law firm. By Tuesday, so within a day of the uh, revelation about this, Passantino's professional biography had been removed from the website of a Midwestern-based law firm where he was a partner. He wasn't just an employee. He was a partner. And he acknowledged in his statement he was on leave of absence from the firm given the distraction of this matter. The firm, Michael Best and Friedrich LLP, said on Tuesday it was not involved in the situation and that Hutchinson wasn't a client. So I'm going to remove that and this is Michael Best and Friedrich LLP people. Oh no, let's go to our firm. Tell me who the lawyers are. Oh, I got one there. Does it tell me who the lawyers are? It's David A. Crass. I wanted to see I wanted to see if they left him up anywhere. Like just if there was just like a picture there. Anyway. So they took his bio off of their law firm website within 24 hours. That tells you he's under investigation, guys. He's definitely under investigation, and he's, infor- he's, he's informed his law partners that he was. Or he's at least informed them that he had received a summons or something that he needed to uh, go talk to DOJ. And they were like, yep, need to go ahead and delete this guy from our law firm. So, all right, let me see. I think I'm just about to call it there. I'm going to, uh, yeah, I think, um, 
I've got a couple other things, but it's it's going to take up a lot of time if I go if I go into a bunch of other topics. So, um, yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna end the show right there, guys. So, because um, if I get all the other topics I have, it's gonna take it would take me over an hour to go through them, or close to an hour anyway. So, um, I want to say thank you guys for uh, for all the support for the rumble rants. You guys are awesome. Thank you for the, uh, the Substack subscriptions and the buy me a coffees. Some people bought me some coffees earlier this week and last week and left some really nice messages. I very much appreciate them. Um, y'all guys are so generous and there's Howard 76 right there. The rumble rant. Um, thank, thank you so much, Howard. That is, incredibly generous of you. Thank you so much. I, (laughs) I can't, I can't believe how many of you actually enjoy listening to me talk about this stuff, um, and go through this, go through all these news stories and give my perspective on them. Um, I saw, I saw Durham trending for a moment there. Did y'all notice that over on the side? Did y'all notice that Durham popped up as trending there for just a moment? And then when I look back, it was gone. I don't know if that was the simulation winking at me or if something's going on with Durham. Um, I'm really praying that there's a, uh, that Durham brings me a Christmas present. That would be great. (laughs) Uh, I would really appreciate, please Santa Durham, please Santa Durham, bring me a Christmas present, some indictments. Uh, yeah, guys, I, I'm so thankful. I'm so thankful for y'all and your generosity and your support and your kind words. Uh, you got, you guys are the best and I'm, I'm, I'm so thankful for this, this community that I have. I, f- I feel so blessed by y'all. So incredibly blessed. Um, yeah, I just, I just don't even, I just don't even know what to say. Sometimes I, I really do pinch myself. So, um, I saw that my last, my last, uh, show from Monday, it, it was as high as number 12 on the battle board. Thanks to y'all hitting the plus button. And, uh, by the end of the day, it was number 17. So I'm happy about that. Um, and that's, that's all y'all just being an awesome community and deciding to hit the plus button, um, or the thumbs up. So, um, I wish you all sincerely just the best Christmas, just please have the best Christmas. It the news cycle is crazy. Try to try to disconnect from it and spend some awesome time with your family and your friends and enjoy it. Just just try trying try and have some rest and rest restoration over this Christmas holiday. Make the most of it. That's what I'm gonna do uh with my boys. And um yeah. Yeah. What a what a time what a time for all of us to be alive. These are really exciting times, guys. And I feel really positive about the future. I'm looking forward to twenty twenty three. Very much so. I'm going to take the rest of the week off so that I can do some stuff with my boys and, uh, really enjoy the Christmas, Christmas time. And, uh, 
I'll be back next week streaming. Unless Santa Durham shows up. If Santa Durham shows up with some indictments for Christmas, y'all better believe I'm going to go live. <laughs> so uh, if you see me go live, all of a sudden it's because it's because Santa Durham came to town. <laughs> so God bless each and every one of you. And thank you. from Thank you so much. Y'all are a wonderful, wonderful community. I'm so thankful for y'all. Remember, we're not going to win every battle, but we are going to win this war. Merry Christmas, everybody.